T.D. Worthington, pastor of the Pathway Baptist Church in Goldsboro, North Carolina, and this is Pathlight. We are indeed honored to have you a part of our Pathlight family, and thank you for tuning in today. As we usher in this holiday season, we're so glad to have you with us today on our program. Thank you for staying tuned, regardless of if you're listening on radio or perhaps our Pathlight podcast. As a matter of fact, that's something you might want to tell your friends about if you're listening by way of radio, and you might want to tell them we have a podcast where they can not only listen to this program, but go back and listen to many of the archives we've had on the Pathlight program over the uh, over the years. Many of them are there, and I uh, want to encourage them to take a look at it. In just a moment, we're going to be sharing with you a message entitled, It's Easy to Be a Crummy Spouse. Well, I tell you what, it's good to be a good husband, it's good to be a good wife. In fact, is all of us fail at that at one time or another. And we're going to be going back to the first married couple, that being Adam and Eve, and taking a look at their life. And we're going to find out it's pretty easy to be a crummy husband or a crummy wife. I hope you will uh, hope you'll stay uh, stay tuned for today's for today's program. Let me mention to you very quickly Pathway Christian Academy in Goldsboro. I realize many are listening to this and you're not in the Goldsboro area, but if you are in the Goldsboro, Wayne County, Johnston, Lenore, Duplin County, Greene County area, uh, we even have I believe a couple of students from the Wilson County area. If you're interested in enrolling your child in a program that is academically sound and spiritually uh, in a spiritual environment, a Christian environment, why don't you check out Pathway Christian Academy? Now, fact is, many of our classes are full, but we do have some limited availabilities in some of the classes for the second semester. So if you're, um, you're able and would like to take a look at that, K-4 through grade 12, and here again, I can't specifically say what uh, classes are open because uh, many are listening to this on a delayed basis. If I tell you uh, what are open today, they might be uh, not open by the time you listen. But if you want to check out, Pathway Christian Academy. Pathwayacademy.org is the uh, name of the website if you'd like to uh, check it out, and uh, you'll find full information there. Again, it's easy to be a crummy spouse. We'll get around to that in a moment. Right now, though, the Kingdom Airs with a musical selection.
is our anchor, our very anchor of hope. Thank you for that musical selection today. The title of today's message is Easy to Be a Crummy Spouse. Ladies, let me ask you something today. How would you like to be married to a perfect man? Men, may I ask you likewise, how would you like to be married to a perfect lady? Well, as I speak about human marriage today, not our relationship as the bride of Christ, I'm referring to humanly speaking, I can tell you that life is not for me. Being a perfect husband or being a perfect wife, uh, that life is not for me. We might dismiss the marriage, for an example, of Adam and Eve as being too extraordinary to be any practical help for you and I. How could any ordinary, sinful husband or sinful wife today, even if you're a Christian, how can you relate to those truly innocent newlyweds with their perfect home, living in a perfect environment, staying in paradise? They enjoyed a fullness of peace and security and intimacy that's now impossible to experience on the earth today. Even for Adam and Eve, however, the honeymoon phase didn't appear to last very long. We don't know exactly how long it lasted, but it sure doesn't seem to have lasted very long. And we probably learn more honestly from their failures than we do from their initial obedience. As an often failing husband myself, I find my imagination stirred by the only sinless husband in history sacrificing all on the altar of sin and compromise. The more years I am married, the more easily I can put myself in Adam's fig leaves. His sins are unique for being the first, but they're not all that different in kind or consequence from the sins that husbands commit today. As it turns out, it's a lot easier to be a crummy husband than a good one. Even if you happen to live in paradise, it still is apparently easier to be a crummy husband or wife than one who's perfect. So what might I learn from that crummy husband? 
The first verses in this tragic chapter in the Bible don't even mention the man. As a result, we might be led to think that Adam was perhaps nothing more than a victim, an innocent bystander of this story. We know he wasn't, but as the story starts out, you're not sure. Genesis 3.1, the Bible says the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Satan knew how to attack a marriage, and he still does. He knew that the surest way to undo the man and the marriage was to target the wife and seek to reverse the order of their callings. He undermines their matrimony by encouraging her to be the assertive head and him to be the yielding follower. So Satan goes after the wife. He wants her to assume leadership. And he wants Adam to passively follow. Genesis 3, 6, the word of God says, And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took up the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat, the Bible says again in Genesis 3, 6. Now I've got to admit, it's hard for me to understand why a perfect wife would not have called her husband immediately if she truly believed Satan's lies. You know, as a helpmate, wouldn't it been uh, been natural for her to call for a husband? If she's there in the garden to help him, and remember she's perfect, and she's in a garden as a perfect wife, knowing her husband is God's ordained leader in the garden, and suddenly Satan comes along and says, I've got something that'll make you wise. I've got something that'll make you a better leader. I've got something that, that would make you wiser in, in, in your life and in your existence. Wouldn't she immediately think, well, you know, my husband's got the responsibility here in the garden and he's kind of in charge of everything. Boy, this could really help him. I need to go ask him if that's something he might like that he thinks it might be something to help him. Maybe he's not thought about that. You know, my wife often gives me ideas on how to more effectively do my work. Her suggestions have often made my work easier, our ministry more productive by just simply offering input. I would think Eve might say, you know, I think this could help my husband. I I really do because he's in charge here in the garden. And if it'll help you be wiser and ruling and, and carrying out your responsibilities, I think I'll call Adam. Why didn't she call him? Why didn't she call Adam and say, this serpent has, uh, has shared an idea that might help you have greater dominion here in the garden? Uh, if what he says is true, it might make your work easier and more productive. Wouldn't, wouldn't that make sense for a perfect wife to do? If her ministry was to help him be a better leader, why wouldn't she want that for her husband if she believed the lie of the, de- of the devil? But no, apparently believing the devil, she took the power granting fruit for herself and then prepared a poisonous meal for her husband. As it turns out, it's a lot easier to be a crummy wife than a good one, even if you live in paradise. Just a few verses earlier in Genesis 2.15, the Bible says, And the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it, to guard it, to preserve it, to protect it. Adam was to supply spiritual and physical food and to ward off any spiritual or physical dangers or obstacles to the glory-filled mission to which God had called this first family. But when temptation came to his home, Adam failed to keep what God had entrusted to him. Did Adam fail to properly instruct Eve? 
It would appear that God instructed Adam, but I assume Adam instructed Eve. She obviously knew not to mess with that fruit. She even added to what God had told Adam and said, I can't even touch it. It seems like she knew the rules. I don't think necessarily either one of them meant to add to what God had said. I think in reality they were saying, you know, you know, God told us not to eat of this fruit. As a matter of fact, we're not even going to touch it. We're not going to come near it. Did she not believe it was that serious? Did she think this was really an option? As leaders, sometimes we don't explain the full details of our request. We just assume that asking you not to do something should be sufficient. I, I shouldn't have to explain all the nuances. I just ask you not to do it, so, so don't do it. Eve seemed not to take it very seriously. Was that because Adam didn't appear to take it too seriously? Passivity, a passive nature grows in any number of soils, but as we see again and again, it always bears the same bitter fruit. The story does bear a contemporary flavor. How many homes have crumbled today because husbands have failed to see temptation for what it really was and call sin what it really is? Men allow their sons and their daughters to venture to the very edge of the pit by failing to make clear God's standards of dress, entertainment, basic morality. I, I, as a father of three daughters, I don't see why in the world dads today allow their daughters to go out dressed the way they are. As husbands, we must follow in the footsteps of the bridegroom who met Satan and his temptations in the wilderness after 40 lonely, hungry days, and yet still the Lord would not bite of the forbidden fruit. Not when the devil tried that same old line, hath God said, or did God actually say, not when he was hungry, not when he was tired, not when he was weary, and not even for the glory of a hundred nations would Jesus yield. Our homes and our churches need husbands and fathers who refuse to abandon God's word even if their wives, children, and friends do come to lead them astray. After Adam and Eve ate from the tree and fell into sin and shame, the, the Lord came calling, and when he did, God came first, as would be proper, he came first for the husband. The Bible says in Genesis 3, 8, and 9, And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? This was not a statement of God's ignorance. There were not enough bushes in paradise or enough fig leaves in paradise to hide Adam from God. God knew very well where Adam was, but he's hoping Adam, I believe at this point, will come out and say, Father or God, I have sinned, I have sinned, but he didn't. Perhaps Eve didn't recognize her husband's leadership, but God sure did. God comes straight to the man. He bypasses the woman because the man's in charge. And when God asks him what happened, Adam shifts the blame everywhere but himself. Even casting accusations back to God, he says, The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat, Genesis 3.12. She gave me the fruit, and you gave her to me. So who's really at fault here? If you hadn't given me this woman in the first place, there'd have been no problem. 
I imagine any man who's been married for any length of time at all can relate to the seduction of self-pity, wanting to reserve our name and honor while the house is on fire with our families within. I didn't start the fire. I, I didn't do it. It's not the point. You know, we like to do that. The point was not that Eve should take no blame. The point is that when Adam should take the first and greater blame, he tries to push it off on someone else. He, not she, was called to keep. He was called to protect. Faithful husbands step up and take responsibility in crisis and defeat. We take the credit. We can take the credit when we do well, and we should take the blame when we don't. Good, faithful husbands don't go looking for excuses or scapegoats. They know that judgment always begins with the head of the home, so they first remove the beam in their own eyes, and, and therefore they have the power and the clear vision to correct, restore, and protect their families. When sin happens in the home, the husband takes responsibility, not meaning he accepts all the blame because all the blame might not be his. But he accepts his part of the blame and then more importantly owns how his family responds to it. If Satan can convince a husband that his marital problems are all rooted in her sins or their sins or someone else's sins, he's removed the walls of their home and opened them up to all manner of spiritual attack. Yeah, the Bible says that the woman, not the man, was deceived. I understand that. But the scripture also says that sin entered into the world through the man, not the woman. Why? Because the man was in charge. The man was responsible. It's amazing today how many people want to be in charge, but we don't want to accept the responsibility. We can't say much about the space and time between the last verse of Genesis 2 when the Bible speaks about the man and his wife not being ashamed. And the first verse of Genesis 3, where we read about the serpent speaking to the woman in verses 1 and 2, had Adam already failed by letting Satan in at all? I don't know if Adam had the authority to keep Satan off the earth or not. I don't know. He is, Adam was supposed to have dominion on the earth. I don't, I don't know. I'm not trying to judge that. I don't know how the devil invaded the garden, how he got an audience with the queen of the garden, which was Eve. I, I, I don't know how, how he got there, how he assumed that authority. I don't know if someone gave it to him or, or what. We do know that God had charged the king to keep, that is, he charged Adam to keep, to forbid, to withstand all threats. He charged him to protect However, Satan slipped in, and I don't know. We know that keeping a marriage and a home in a world like ours, corrupted by sin and brimming with all kinds of temptation, must begin well before the actual temptation comes. Adam's protection of Eve and his preparation of Eve, although he was not aware evil was coming because he was living in a perfect world, yet he should have been protecting her long before the temptation actually came. We know that many temptations can be avoided altogether because Jesus teaches us to pray, lead us not into temptation, Matthew 6, 13. That must not be a futile prayer or Jesus wouldn't have told us to pray it. We also know with temptation comes an area, an avenue of escape. The Bible teaches us that. Jesus says, don't just lead us through temptation, but keep us from it altogether. Don't let the awful lies of the devil touch our ears. 
Husbands and fathers are one great means to this kind of protection for the home. We make sacrifices to stand on the spiritual walls of our home, to stand up in the towers, the watchtowers of our home, monitoring any unique threats that might emerge in our marriages, in our parenting, in in, in the world that we live in, our finances, our family uh, uh, spiritual needs. And then we take decisive and sometimes very costly action when they do. How many husbands today, like Adam, have lowered their guards and let temptation invade and live freely in their homes? How often have we let Satan's lies go unchallenged or worse, undetected? Being a husband means standing guard. It means standing guard not after the serpent comes, not while he's there, but also even before he comes. This keeping of the home, this keeping that Adam was supposed to do of the garden, means not only keeping evil out of the home, but kindling and cultivating good within it. Guardians of the home don't just stand on the wall, scanning the horizon for shadows. They also fill the walls with light. They know that a family's best defense is a deepening and expanding joy in God, that some of the best keeping happens through consistently and continuously reading, sharing, praying, serving, and singing. After all, Adam and Eve didn't eat the fruit because they got hungry. They ate the fruit because their eyes had grown dim toward God. Eve didn't pick up that piece of fruit because she was hungry. She was, she was, if you will, enticed by the wicked one that that fruit is something you want even if you're not hungry. That's, that fruit is something you need even if you're not conscious of a need. That fruit is something you desire even if right now you're not conscious of the desire. It is something that you need even if you don't sense it. Part of a husband's charge to guard the home is to do what he can to foster the kind of delight in God and in God's word where his wife and family can gladly and firmly reject whatever Satan offers. When Satan comes along and says, here's something I've got for you to say, I don't need that. Well, here's something that'll bring you joy. I, I have as much joy as I need. Here's something that'll bring you peace. I have peace beyond understanding. Here's something that'll make you rich. I have riches untold. Part of a husband's responsibility is to foster that kind of dependence and delight in God that when the devil comes along and whatever he offers, to say, I don't need that. Joy guards our wives and children from temptation and delivers them from evil when we, as a husband, can, can teach our wives and children the sufficiency that we have in God. Husbands, we have a high and weighty calling. Just like Adam, we will inevitably fail because he did, a perfect man living in a perfect world, but yet he failed, and we will fail. Unlike Adam... We now have a place where we know we can find forgiveness for our failures. We also have a place where we know we can find daily strength to get through 
the strength to love and protect our wives and families, the strength and wisdom that we have in Christ Jesus. We have a place where we can go for that. Also, unlike Adam, we have experience fighting against the serpent. We're not ignorant of his devices as Adam was. Adam didn't know what to expect. He'd never fought against the devil. He, he was totally ignorant at how the devil, you, 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 you and I are not. The Bible tells us not to be ignorant of the methods, the methodia of the devil. Also, unlike Adam, we have the constant internal presence of God through the Holy Spirit. God, the Bible says, visited Adam in the cool of the day. But God is with me all the time. All the time, God is with me. I, he, he's there forever and, and always. I don't have to wait till the cool of the day to talk with God. My salvation is better than Adam's. My inheritance is better than Adam's. As a son, my relationship with God is better than Adam's. For a hundred reasons, I can be and should be a better husband than Adam. And for those same reasons, my wife can be a better wife than Eve. That sounds strange, doesn't it? But it's true. So, 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 men, I challenge you today. When temptation comes, we step in. We can defy Satan head on through the name of Jesus Christ. We can take as much of his fire as we can. And after sin happens, and it will happen, we take responsibility before God. And we lead our family in sorrow, in confession, in repentance, in restoration. We're constantly instructing our family, giving them the tools they'll need to fight off the wicked one. And husbands, long before temptation comes to your wife or to yourself or to your sons or daughters, we keep a big, satisfying, all-sufficient vision of God before the eyes of our family often displayed best through our own contagious joy that we have in him. So that when Satan comes and he offers these enticing things, our wives, our children, and ourselves will be prepared to say, I don't need that. I don't need that. I've got everything I need in God. I don't need anything from you. Well, in today's message, we talked about how easy it is to be a crummy husband. Apparently, it was easy even in paradise to be a crummy husband or to be a crummy wife. So if it was easy back then, it's certainly easy today. But yet, we've also pointed out in today's service how we also have resources. We have resources that Adam did not have. Resources that we can utilize and call to the forefront and use for the glory and honor of Jesus Christ. Well, I want to thank you for tuning in to today's broadcast. If our programs are a blessing to you, we'd enjoy hearing from you. Reminder, you can also check us out on the Pathlight podcast, and there you'll find this program and many of the archives. Till next time, T.D. Worthington saying, May God richly bless you is my prayer.